You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the show that adequately explains all of its temporal continuity errors by simply chalking it up to the host being an idiot. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Hello there again, my name's Sean Eagle, and it's my job on the show, as always, to cover the Green Lantern books, specifically the Green Lantern books starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, putting a special emphasis on my two favorite characters, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. This time out, we're only going to be covering one book. I've covered a lot, but it's a pretty important book. It's issue 106 of Green Lantern, the third volume, in which Cal Jordan faces down Hal Jordan and Kyle Rayner's thing. If that doesn't make sense, well, you obviously haven't listened to the previous episodes, where Hal Jordan came back through time, and now he's having to face down Parallax, who also came back through time, and... Uh, you would think it would be confusing to explain, and it would be confusing to try and get your head around, but actually... Ron Mars does a great job of wrapping up this whole time travel thing and actually putting things in a perfect continuity order, taking his characters out of the sandbox and putting them back right where they were without rejiggering time the way Zero Hour did. It's a great storyline. The artwork by Pelletier is great. I might even have some nice things to say about Terry Austin this time now. But I'm looking forward to covering this story, the final part, the wrap-up of the entire saga of Hal Jordan coming to the future, and Kyle Rayner once again, in my opinion, cementing himself as Green Lantern. It seems that people just can't get it through their head that Kyle is the Green Lantern this time, and they're doing their best to make sure that he is, and they do it well again. So, we'll get to that, we'll also get to some of your email, just as soon as we take a quick podcast promo break. Stay tuned, folks. It's Megacon, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. returns. Megacon, from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014, at the Orange County Convention Center in magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevich, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Land, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert, Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, 
Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com. Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center, Magical Orlando, Florida, March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www. Megaconvention.com. That's Megacon 2014. Be there. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every Penny. Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Ben Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie? Or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper, especially the old ones. Whoa, those things. Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books, especially the old ones. I like them so much I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at twotruefreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes, the world actually did exist long before Twitter. My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website, and listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones. And we have returned. And before we get into coverage of Green Lantern number 106, I'm going to go ahead and take a look at the Just One of the Guys email bag and see what kind of letters we have this time out. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. (laughs) 
And because I kind of blazed through a lot of the emails uh, the past couple episodes, I only have one this time out, but it's a good one here. It's the it's entitled the Best Green Lantern Podcast. Period. Well, that's high praise. Uh, wouldn't say I'm the best, but I'm one of them. So thank you very much. This one comes from Silent Walker 420. Not certain who it actually is, but if you want to write in with your actual name and have it read in the show, I'd be more than happy to do that. But he writes in saying, "Hello." fellow GL fan. Just wanted to finally email you uh, you and every other show on the Two True Freaks Network, which was more than I dreamed. Yeah, we've got a boatload of podcasts out there now. He continues, I wanted to throw a quick bit of info at you and your listeners. The most recent issues you're discovering are collected in a t- trade titled Green Lantern and Emerald Knights, which I found accidentally at my local bookstore for just $2.50. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah, I failed to mention in the previous episodes that all these stories, including the Green Arrow story, which crossed over between uh, Emerald Knights, are all collected in a trade, you know, entitled, surprisingly enough, Green Lantern Emerald Knights. It collects, like I said, all the stories. And since it was printed, I think probably sometime in the mid to late 90s, I didn't really know whether it would be readily available. I'm pretty certain you might be able to find it on in-stock trades. I'm not affiliated with that, but if you go to in-stock trades and it's there, it'd be a good pickup. Or if you can find it for $2.50 at your LCS, that's even better. Anyway, Silent Walker says, Anyway, I love the podcast and keep the green flame alive. Well, thank you, Silent Walker 420 I do appreciate the email, and if any of you would like to write in to email the show, whether you have criticisms, whether you enjoy the show, whether you want me to speak less, whether you want more podcast uh, personalities to come on the show and talk about stuff that obviously they know more about, specifically speaking of Luke Giaconetti, who came on last episode to talk about the Iron Lantern issue. I'd love to hear your comments. I'd love to get some email from you. The email address, if you'd like to write to the show, is, of course, just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. Love to read the emails on the air. Air? That's my Oklahoman coming through. Jeez. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get started with coverage of Green Lantern number 106 before I mangle the English language any further. Green Lantern 106 had a cover date of October 1998 and a release date of August 26, 1998. Again, Mike's Amazing World of Comics gives me that information. The cover price was $1.99 US and $2.85 Canada, and the title this time out was Time's Up. The writer was Ron Mars, the penciler was Paul Pelletier, anchor Terry Austin, colorist Rob Schwager, letter Chris Iliopoulos, assistant editor Chuck Kim, and editor Kevin Dooley. Channeling his inner Shatner, Green Lantern Hal Jordan delivers a ring-powered, two-fisted hammer punch straight to the face of Parallax, his older and more sinister self, smashing him into the moon's surface. Parallax quickly recovers and marvels at how young and foolish he was. Parallax tells Hal that he has traveled from the future in order to send Hal back to his own time. Hal exclaims that he won't let him. He knows what happens, and he won't let himself become the monster that Parallax is. Ring-punching his older self into unconsciousness, Hal streaks off to check on Kyle, who took a beating earlier on from Parallax. Kyle tells Hal that Parallax is looking to rewrite history, and with Hal in the here and now, his plans are all futzed up. Consoling his injured comrade, Hal says that he's taking care of Parallax. But perhaps he spoke too soon, as the verdant villain transports Hal and Kyle to the moment right before Coast City was annihilated. Leaving the passed-out Kyle behind, 
Parallax takes Hal on a tour of the horrors that befell the 7 million innocents that called this city their home, telling Green Lantern that if he doesn't go back to his timeline, Parallax can't right this injustice. But even with the knowledge of the wanton destruction, Hal defies Parallax, saying that he'll never be like him. Both parties resigned to their fates. The Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, is on, with the two Emerald Warriors blasting away at each other. Hal knows that Parallax can't kill him, or none of this would ever happen, and Parallax replies that he doesn't have to kill him. All he has to do is send him back. Hal retorts that even if he does, with all the knowledge of what went on, he'd never fall into the despair and rage that would lead him to becoming Parallax. Parallax taunts Hal, saying that he not only could bring back Coast City, but Barry Allen as well. And Hal asks if he's just so powerful, then why didn't he do anything to prevent the death of Oliver Queen? Hal screams that the job of a hero is to prevent tragedies, not to change them after the fact. But Parallax still doesn't sway and lays into the lantern with all of his might. But this epic battle is broken up by the arrival of Kyle, who orders the two Teal Titans to stop. Stating that he is Green Lantern now, he has come to the conclusion that the only way that this can resolve itself is for both Hal and Parallax to return to their own timelines. Kyle explains that even with the horrible things Parallax did, in the end he saved the Earth by reigniting the sun during the final night. And if both don't return, without the knowledge of what happens to both of them, then the Earth will certainly die. Resigned, Parallax accepts the offer, and in an awesome, heroic panel, Hal does the same. After thanking Kyle and letting him know that he's proud that the tradition is in good hands, the trio link the power of their rings, wiping Hal and Parallax's memories, and sending them all back to their proper timelines. Cut to Kyle's apartment, where he's relating the tale to apartment mate and current snuggle bunny Jade. Kyle mentions how Hal said that he was proud of him being the one to carry on the tradition, And with all of his recent experiences, Kyle now has a different perspective on the whole Green Lantern thing. Realizing that he has to be the protector of just more than New York, or even Earth, Kyle understands what Hal told him at the end. Jenny asks if he knows what he needs to do, and Kyle says, I think I do, as he opens his hand to reveal a second Green Lantern ring. This is not only a great way to end what could have been a confusing and rather improbable time travel story without sacrificing any of the events of what came before it, while all along reinforcing the idea of Kyle as THE Green Lantern. Which kind of upsets me, because it seems that Mars tries again and again and then again to validate Kyle, and every time he does, people just seem to need to have it reinforced. The art here, again, is much, much better this time out, with some really iconic artwork and far less of the muddiness that Austin had when he was inking the prior issues. Really great ending to the storyline. Like I said, 
I can't wait to talk about it. So let's go ahead and go into it. Starting with the cover, it's a great cover. Haldron versus Parallax with Cal unconscious in front of them. It's just amazing. And Hal punched Parallax so hard that if you check it out on the uh, on the front cover, he knocked his shoulder pad off. So maybe Hal just doesn't like the ridiculous 90 shoulder pads there. So that could be it as well. There is a bit of coloring difference between the energy of Hal and the energy of Parallax, which helps distinguish the constructs and who is making them. And I like that fact. Um, I think Luke and I kind of talked about that in the previous episode where when Green Lanterns fought up against each other, we'd see the differences in their construct energy for the coloring standpoint. And I'm going to check and see if throughout the book, if there's uh, at least a distinction. So we know who's doing what page one, nothing, but nothing is more epic than a hero, double fisted hammer, punching a villain in the face. And the art here just completely sells it. Pelletier gets both of them down. Hal's in a ridiculously arched position with his fist clasped together, the energy glowing off of his ring hand, and Parallax just reeling from the punch. It's just a really powerful way to start out the comic, and the artwork completely sells it here. It's just amazing. And Austin's inks, again are a little thick around the edges of the characters, but the detailing is much, much better here. Then on page two, panels four and five, Pelletier does a nice job here of distinguishing Hal Jordan from Parallax with some minor subtle differences. Hal's hair is styled a little bit different. It's a little bit longer than Parallax's. Parallax seems to be brushed back a bit and maybe parted a little different. And his mask has a bit more of the curve over the eyes, while Parallax's mask has the two little pointy things on the side, so his mask looks a little different. It's these little subtle differences that allow you in these close-up shots to realize who you're looking at. Plus also, uh, Pelletier draws the eyes on Parallax here, while giving a Hal, who's, again, got the Austin teeth going, uh, gives him with no pupils in his eyes. So it's a nice way of distinguishing the, the two characters from each other. Then on page five, we get Parallax teleporting Hal and Kyle to the point where Coast City was about to be annihilated and stopping time right before that. If there was ever a way to kind of prove his point to Hal, I think this would be it. This is going to be the moment where Hal is either corrupted and buys into Parallax's line, or he resolves himself to keep this from happening. It was a good try on Parallax's part. But then we get even more of that uh, on page 7, where Parallax is describing what's going on around him. He says, some of the people don't even know what's happening, the lucky ones, I guess. And the ones who did know about something going wrong, they expected their hero to save them, as he has always before. Remember her, Hal? Jennifer, our first real girlfriend? She grew up nicely, as we see an image of Jennifer and, uh, I guess, her boyfriend here. And then Parallax goes on saying, too bad he ne she never got any older. And then the final one, this this really hammers the point home as Parallax kneels down before a mother and her child and says, This boy's got 20 seconds to live. He's going to be burned alive, his skin melting off of him while he screams for his mother. Does that seem right to you? And, man, 
Mars is doing a great job of selling the horrific nature of what happened in Coast City. And you've got to think that if Hal could do anything to save these people, he would. But it's that conflict. Is Does he do this? Does he become parallax and try and do all these things knowing that this isn't in his nature? Or does he stand up against him? And obviously, Hal, the young hero, chooses to stand against Parallax. Of course, we move to page 9, and we see panels 1 through 3, and the, the art just shows here that Hal is truly being tempted as he looks at the mother and the child, and then he turns and looks away, and the third panel has Hal turning and looking back at Parallax and simply saying, no. This youthful, idealistic Hal hasn't been corrupted, and the art and the poses in the art with Pelletier doing that is just it sells the idea of how he's resolved to this fate happening and he's not going to allow Parallax to try and manipulate it. Which leads to you know the bottom panel, the sixth panel here on this page, this epic line of the two getting ready to face off and Parallax saying, well then, I suppose we better get down to it then. And Hal looking kind of stern saying, well, I suppose we'd better. And it's all done in silhouette and it sells that this is going to be a knockdown dragout fight. And, of course, it begins on the next page. And I did mention on the cover that it looked like the energy was different between them, and they do actually do this. Parallax's uh, beam energy looks a bit darker shaded its color, while Howl's looks a little lighter. Essentially, they're all... that's kind of... Well, no, I guess there are some distinct differences in it. Howl's energy, when it shoots off of his ring, has more of a sunburst-type look, while Parallax's energy has a more electrified look, like lightning, rather, coming off of it. So the uh, sort of energy that's emanating off the rings or the hands, in the case of Parallax, give it a different look. So not only are they using distinct colors to determine which energy is coming from which character, they're also using artistic differences to distinguish them as well. So I like that here. Now, okay, I, I went and checked this out. I guess they made a numbering mistake on the thing that I said, page nine, where um, Hal was being tempted, and we had those three panels at the top. That actually should have been page eight, so I think they misnumbered the pages, at least in my comic. But <clears throat> here on page 10, actual page 10, they do have a just wonderful what should be a poster image of Hal and Parallax going against each other. It's it's a great pose. It's a wonderful art. There's a lot of that sort of Kirby crackle. I think Andy Leyland would call it the Kirby dots. But it works here as these sort of little bubbles of emerald energy flying all around them. And this is just a glorious picture. Pelletier sells the dynamism between these two characters going after each other. It's it's just great. Well, well worth a poster, this picture. And surprisingly enough, not signed by uh, Pelletier in Austin. See, see Romeo Tangal and Daryl Banks? You can, you can do it without signing it. It looks good. Page 11. Uh, one of the things that they use during the fights, and one of the things that Green Lanterns do, is they make varying different constructs. And they've got some really good ones here with... Parallax bringing up a huge mace, and then when uh, Hal tells Parallax about Oliver's death, he hits 
parallax in the face with a giant ring construct sort of knockout arrow. It's one of those blunted arrows that's not doesn't have a uh, edged uh, arrow point on it. So it, it, I, I like the use of the of the constructs here. There's some some neat ones going on here, including the one where parallax wraps up uh, Hal on the other page on the next page. It's a bunch of snakes. So if Hal is anything like Indiana Jones, he's going to be creeped out right now. But this leads us up to page fourteen where Kyle comes in and blasts the two apart, and Kyle takes charge. Once again, both Mars and Pelletier giving the character who this book is supposed to be about his moment of glory. Kyle comes in and says, Look, you guys have had your time. I'm Green Lantern now, and he takes charge. Kyle has come into his own, and I'm kind of upset that it feels that we're having to go over and over again the fact that Kyle has become Green Lantern and these other guys are part of the past now. Mars is trying to get that through people's heads and I'm hoping this will be kind of the end of that sort of little nagging thing that keeps being brought up. You don't know, though. Plus, I do like it that each of the characters, both Hal and Kyle... Both get their sort of epic panels to look really cool in. This is Kyle's version here. He's got the sort of orange sunburst behind him as he flies in with his big ring construct gun on his hand. So Hal will get his moment uh, in the sun with Paul Pelletier here in a few pages. Moving on to page 15. Again, this is where Kyle spells it out. And Kyle has figured all of it out. Not only does Hal have to go back and witness Coast City or discover that Coast City has been destroyed and become Parallax, but Parallax also has to be defeated by the heroes of Earth, then eventually come back and save the Earth during the final night. If all of this doesn't happen, things are going to be in jeopardy. And it's not these two heroes coming to that conclusion, it's Kyle. Again, Ron Mars writing Kyle as the intelligent, thoughtful one who is not just some newbie trying to figure things out. He's coming to his own. That's, I think, what the finale of this story is trying to tell you. Then on page 16, we get uh, Kyle saying that Hal's going to be able to use his ring to sort of wipe the memories of both him and Parallax of what's going on. Now, why he didn't wipe Kyle's memory... Uh, plot device, plot contrivances, wizards, you never know. But I think it's essential that the ring that can do that and has been used to do things like that is used here. So each individual character, Hal gets to use his ring to wipe their minds. Parallax gets to use his energy to send them back in time. It all works. They all have to be a part of this. So good storytelling by Ron Mars here. And I mentioned earlier that Kyle got his sort of moment in the sun to shine art-wise. Well, here on page 17, the majority of the page is Hal's turn to shine. And Austin and Pelletier do it perfectly. It's a sort of side shot with Hal turned, and he's got a really square jaw. He looks really determined with his hand balled up in a fist. The artwork here just completely sells it. Hal looks amazing. 
And also on this page, there's a couple little inset panels to the side. And you really don't know what's going on here. But if you come back after you find out what the reveal at the end is and look at this, you realize what's going on. Because in panels three and four here, you see Hal give Kyle a sort of goodbye hug. And then Kyle looking at his hand, looking at his closed fist. So you don't know what's going on at the point at that point in time. But once you get to the end of the story, you realize what Hal has done. Then the next page, they energize and they all transport back to their own timelines. And you get a page of zero-hour goodness where Hal reveals himself as Parallax. And Pelletier gets to draw a guy in his goofy red armor. So, yeah, there's that, sadly. But then on the next page, Hal goes back to his fight with Sinestro that we saw in issue 100. And that works out for Hal. Hal defeats Sinestro. So... Everything's put back in its place, in the sandbox. It's all good to go. And then we come to the conclusion where Kyle is talking with Jenny and saying that he needs to take on a bit more responsibility than just Earth. And I think this will set forth things going on in the storyline where Kyle becomes more of a cosmic hero. And they try and embrace more of that cosmic feel of the original Green Lantern series. But we get the uh, final reveal on page 22 as Kyle opens up his hand and reveals a second Green Lantern ring. And it wasn't Hal's ring that he gave to him. If I'm recalling, I think the Green Lanterns could actually have the rings duplicate so they could make another one. And this was one of the things Kyle couldn't do. So we're possibly going to see other Lanterns here in the near future. Kyle may not be the only one, so... I'm looking forward to see what goes on with that. But that'll just have to wait until the next issue. But we do have some things to look forward to before we get to the next issue. And one of those things are the advertisements. Starting with the front and inside cover, we get Command and Conquer Red Alert Retaliation. And I think this is one of those real-time strategy games that's... Uh, Kind of like, you know, I never really played Command & Conquer. I played more StarCraft and the original WarCraft type games. And basically you mine and do stuff like that. This one's for the PlayStation 3, so I really can't tell you all that much about it because I never had a PlayStation. Actually, it's the PlayStation 1, not the PlayStation 3. I misspoke there. But yeah, Command & Conquer with a lightning bolt tank destroying a military guard so yeah there you go then in a few pages we get another one of those minimal ads for coke with just a red page with the uh, uh black words at the bottom saying thirst no more and it's an ad for coca-cola so yes very minimalist not much art design on this page way to go coca-cola saving some bucks then a few more pages in we get an ad for the wwf war zones featuring a uh very beefy uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin holding his hands up. And, uh, yeah, it's for the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64. <sighs> Never got into the WWF games, but, you know, I guess that could be fun, especially if you're playing as Stone Cold Steve Austin. Then, after a while, we'll get another ad for JNCO. I don't know whether they're sneakers or pants or skateboards or something, but it's got some kid flipping through the air and skateboard and you know, amid uh, against the blue clouded sky. 
you kids today with your skateboards and your hula hoops and your Dan Fogelberg records. What the hell? Then the, uh, okay. The inside uh, two page splash is a ad for Konami XXL sports series, international superstar soccer with an advertisement featuring Carlos Valderrama, the captain of the Colombian national team who kind of looks like Samuel L. Jackson with a Macy Gray wig. You can imagine that, kicking a soccer ball. Or I guess, technically, if you're one of my UK listeners, a, a football. So, But uh, here in America, we have to call it soccer because we've got the other game of football that we like more, sadly. So there you go. On the Nintendo 64 again and the PlayStation, as well as the Game Boy. So, yeah. Soccer. Then we get an ad for the uh, superhero stamps. It's for the U.S. Postal Service celebrating 100 years, uh, celebrating the 20th century. And I think it, I'm not certain if it's Garcia Lopez Superman, but you would kind of assume it. Well, it's Garcia Lopez Superman, I can tell, on the actual album. But the one advertising this doesn't quite look like Garcia Lopez. Um... I guess it's an advertisement for fourteen ninety five. You could get uh, the ten volume set of superhero stamps, uh, uh, so that's cool. Or you could collect one hundred and fifty of them for just fifty four ninety five. I don't know. I remember. I want to say J. David Weeder was talking about the Marvel version of these stamps, but I think that was far after that. I think that was into two thousand and seven. So these were the uh, century stamps that basically took. A decade of each century, and I'm not certain if they're particularly all superheroes, but they're kind of making it out to be. So, superhero stamps. You can lick Superman. A few more pages in, makes the same DC subscription ad with a little fanboy looking at the JLA comic while all the uh, various members of the JLA run by, including Electric Blue Superman and uh, Batman and The Flash and can't tell. It's not Martian Manhunter in front of him. It must be Steel, maybe? I can't tell, because you only see the red cape, but Green Lantern and Wonder Woman are there as well, so there you go. Then we get a house ad saying, together they will triumph over evil if they can learn to trust each other. And it's Elseworlds Finest. It's a story featuring Supergirl and Batgirl, I guess. And it's another Elseworlds, Elseworlds story, a 64-page prestige format version uh, by Barbara Kessel, Matt Holly, and Tom Simmons. And the artwork looks pretty good. Supergirl looks good. And uh, Batgirl looks like Jim Ballant may have had something to do with her because, well, boobs. The back inside cover is that same Fruitopia fold-in ad. Don't fold your comics, kids. It only messes them up. And the back outside cover is another ad for The Gap with a creepingly underage-looking crisscross kid wearing a, a Gap hoodie that costs 38 bucks. 38 bucks for a hoodie that sells The Gap. Wow. But that does it for this issue, and that does it for the comic. This was a great storyline. Again, another story that sets up Kyle Rayner as the Green Lantern. I'm hoping this will be the last one to make sure everyone knows that it's Kyle in the role of Green Lantern. 
Not Hal, not Guy, not John. Kyle's it. Please enjoy our stories. And I'm hoping to enjoy the next story, because it's one that's going to take us into the future. Again. In fact, a lot more further than it did in issues 98 and 99. In fact, we're going to go into the 853rd century, as next week we will be covering Green Lantern 1 million. Yes, the epic storyline that Grant Morrison and Val Semeckis, well, Grant Morrison primarily thought up, about the heroes of the 853rd century, and what they did to celebrate Superman's leaving the sun in that time period. Does it tie in with uh, All-Star Superman? Was it intended to tie in with All-Star Superman? Is Grant Morrison's trippiness pretty apparent? You'll just have to see. And to help me out with that, I will have to bring in someone who is a bit more knowledgeable about Grant Morrison. So next time, we've got a great guest host who has never appeared on the show and who's going to fill me in on the whole idea of the zaniness that is Grant Morrison. I can't wait to get to it. But I will have to wait, of course, for seven days to come up. So hopefully you'll be back there too, or you'll be back here as well, for another episode of Just One of the Guys a member of the Two True Freaks family of podcasts. Bye, everyone, and have a good weekend. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know it. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, or search for Two True Freaks, the new rule two, and you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there as it was a requirement of my new DeMontecourt contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Wars group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Time's Up by the band Living Color off their album, entitled Time's Up. Now, if you'd like to get this song, or this CD from this highly underrated band, I think you should go to one particular place, and that place is Two True Freaks. Not because Two True Freaks is a place to get CDs or MP3 downloads, well, except for podcasts, but the Two True Freaks site does have a link to Amazon.com. When you click on that link at twotruefreaks.com, you'll be directed towards Amazon.com, where you can buy the CD, download the MP3, or download the MP3 album. 
You can also buy a myriad number of other things at Amazon.com, including CDs, DVDs, electronics, and, well, if you look at what people have been buying through our Amazon link, some marital aids. Let's just go with that. And all of them you can get for discounted prices. And whenever you want to buy any of those things, even the marital age, you pervs, you should go through the link at twotruefreaks.com. Every time you do that and buy something from Amazon.com, a little bit of money from your purchase goes back to Two True Freaks. It won't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the show out. So make sure if you're going to buy anything from Amazon.com, use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com.